0: of the William Branham Historical Research Podcast. I'm your host, John Collins, the author and founder of William Branham Historical Research at william-branham.org. And with me, I have Dr. Jesse Collins, psychotherapist coming to us from Trinity, Florida. And together, we're discussing the impact of spiritual abuse, how to process it, and moving on to a more fulfilling life. Jesse, it's good to have you on today. I've been looking forward to doing this for quite some time now and um, there's so many people that have been impacted by not only the religious group that I came out of and you came out of but in general the broader the broader scope of people impacted by this movement and its affiliates is widespread and so many people have sent questions asking us what where do I go next? What do I do next? And I thought it'd be good to have you on the show and start, you know, talking through how do we move on from all of this.
1: Well, thank you for having me on, John. It's a pleasure to be here. And um, <clears throat> there's a lot of a lot of paths to recovery, and each person uh, can find their own individual path. Uh, just a little bit of background. I was actually raised in the brown tabernacle and um, my my father uh, Clyde Collins, was a deacon there and my uncle Willard was a pastor there for many, many years and I remained part of that of organization until i uh, I left home at eighteen and about uh, 20, I joined the military U.S. Army and, and decided to uh, uh, leave that organization for a lot of the reasons that we can touch on. But uh, um, I, I unfortunately have lost friends to this, and I've talked to many people about uh, recovering from having been indoctrinated and basically brainwashed by different organizations not just this one and um i'm happy to report that you can escape these organizations you can recover to a life of health a life of hope a life of beauty the life you wanted and you dreamed of having it is entirely possible although sometimes it may seem uh, like a distant dream I assure your listeners, the listeners here today, that they can find peace and joy
0: and happiness outside of these organizations after they leave. You mentioned brainwashing, and we've recently had an event that I have to mention um, on the show, but several people have committed mass suicide recently in Kenya who were a part of the same message sect that we were in. They were in a basically a splinter group of this, it appears from the, from the resource materials that the pastor was using. They were William Branham sermons, but they, obviously he was radicalized and the people committed mass suicide. It was a very tragic event, but um, could you talk a little bit more about the brainwashing and the impact that it has on a person, not just the people who are you know, the rank and file members of whatever sect they're in. But even in respect to the minister who's presenting, you know, God's information to the people if, as he claims and the impact that the radicalization has on him as part of the, the group think or the mind control.
1: John, um, cultism is all about control Uh, control of the members' um, daily behaviors, control of how they dress. In this case, control even what they eat to the point of intentional death. Um, Others, uh, the famous Jonestown Massacre, uh, was control of them to get them uh, to drink on command. Uh, They went through that drill many times with regular Kool-Aid before the... uh, Went through the drill with uh, arsenic laced Kool Aid um, and killed over 900 people in that case. The bottom line is it's about control. Even if it's not control to death, um, clearly in the Branham Tabernacle and most of the Tabernacle uh, oriented churches it's not about control to death it's about control period and control of money control of the believers lives uh what decisions they make how they dress how they don't dress um and to some extent what they do eat or don't eat Uh, but mainly it's about control over their money and their behavior um that way the the church or or organization, whatever the organization is, uses God as the ultimate authority. Um, because it's it's easy to argue about legislative priorities and whether or not Congress or the state or the local policies are proper or not proper. But when you start talking about God said X, well, who can argue with that? That's, that's a, a, an ultimate authority. And so you must obey because God said to do it. So there's no arguing over a legislative priority or somebody thought this or that. Uh, this is used by many religious organizations uh, as as ultimate authority to, to justify their control stance over their membership. Certainly not just in this organization, but many organizations use that as ultimate authority to... Uh, to basically bludgeon the minds of the followers into submission.
0: Yeah. And for our listeners, a lot of people won't realize this, but Jesse and I were estranged for years. Um, I knew who Jesse was. He was part of my family, but in the cult that we escaped, there's a deep level of shunning and it's very strange because whenever you think about shunning, you often think about the way the Amish do it, where there is no permission of seeing the person, but in these types of cults that we came out of, there are varying levels of shunning. Sometimes it's emotional shunning, or other times it's, um, you know, just cutting people off from getting close, you know, close to the family, that that type of shunning. For Jesse and I, we, I think we saw each other at a couple of family events, but not many. But as Jesse mentioned, he grew up in the Branham Tabernacle, which I came out of. And I'm curious, Jesse, I know that there were, now that I'm, I'm looking back at my time there, I see clear evidence of manipulation that is used for not only indoctrination, but mind control techniques. I see them clearly. And I'm curious what your perspective is on how to establish the mind control. How? What are the, some of the things that you remembered as, as a child or teenager, as the techniques that they used?
1: Well, the shunning or blocking of others who aren't particularly um, in the organizational uh, dominance is done to limit outside influence it's very similar to domestic violence often a domestic violence or abuser will uh, cut the victim away from their family and other friends that support that victim emotionally so that they can establish psychological dominance over the victim I'm the only one that cares about you no one else cares about you you're lucky I love you because no one else would love you and and that they can continue the abuse. In this case, the church cuts out other people cut me off uh, from active believers because they didn't want me to influence them and say, wait a minute, that it doesn't stand up to critical thinking because one of the things I use to control because often, The organization, and it was also the case here in the Branham Tabernacle, that um, the the positions of the church did not stand up to critical thinking. And so the church rolls over those objections by simply saying you have to have faith. You simply have to believe rather than explain in a critically uh, thought out logical way why their position is what it is. And that's how they get people to comply, by simply saying, brother or sister, you must just have faith and take everything on faith rather than on reasoned logic. So, certainly there is a faith component to uh, being a Christian, no question about it, but Christianity itself is not devoid of logic. In fact, it stands up well in, in the face of logic um, as well, a good example is uh, St. Thomas Aquinas' Apologia for the existence of God where he uses excellent critical thinking and logic to explain the existence of God. So, if, if we think about the organization's power over us, it's given through kind of um, a side influence rather than Rather than logic. It's given through. Well, if you're a good person, you're going to do this. They'll label you as uh they went from us because they weren't of us. Meaning the person who's outside is not going to heaven, but we, the people inside, are. Therefore, if you want to continue going to heaven, you will continue to stay in this group, because if you leave the group, you're not going to heaven. And who wants to go to hell, right? nobody so uh it's just another example of of them trying to limit exposure to outsiders so that they can limit exposure to logical thought that's what helped me i went to going to uh, military basic training in the army i began to meet a lot of really good people who are standing human beings and from all over the country and I began to critically analyze all these people, according to the church that I was raised in, that are going to hell. And I'm like, these are really good people. They're amazing people. And and they're serving their country. And it doesn't make sense that they're going to hell simply because they never heard of this uh, church. So my critical thinking kicked in, and I began to question some basic tenets of what I had been told and led me to step away further and further away, uh, so that I ultimately left the message and um, um, realized that I had I had to answer to my own uh, logical patterns because pretty much everything else works on logic, and so why didn't my religion work on logic? So. Ultimately, they're, they're trying to limit the parishioners' uh, exposure to other logical thought to continue to control the parishioners. And I'm so glad that John and I were able to reconnect.
0: You know, suppression of critical thought is key to keeping people in this type of thing. And I think, to some extent, you and I had it fairly easy, you through the military and being exposed to quote-unquote normal people and I was immediately shunned simply by asking a question to the minister my grandfather and um, instantly cut off and like you said they went out from us because they were not of us is the phrase they use but no the, the minister usually you know shuns anybody who's asking a question because the question is powerful and people wake up As soon as they realize there's a question, they start scratching their heads thinking, wait a minute, that is a really good question. So the ministers have to stop this to contain it. But, you know, in reality, that made it very easy for me because I was forced into this world that I did not know existed. All all I knew was the cult world. And suddenly I'm realizing there's this whole world of people that like you said are really really good people and I can't fault them for not hearing the quote-unquote prophet or this church when I mean who's heard of this thing it's a little tiny group now I never will forget my wife and I went out to dinner after church one Sunday and we're sitting watching all these other people from other churches come into the restaurant and we both looked at each other at the same time had the same exact thought the Church of God, the people of God, have increased by millions of people in our circle now <laughs> because these are, these are really good people. So in a way, I think it was very, very much easier for me to make that transition because I was forced into it. What would you say to people who are still in it, realize that it's not right, realize that they need to make a transition, but they're, for lack of a better way to say it, they're trapped into this world that has these invis- invisible barriers that they can't really break through?
1: Well, uh, several, several things they can do if, if they have, and every, we have religious freedom here in the country, right? Right. If somebody wants to remain in the organization, that's that's their right uh, under the Constitution to believe as they think they should believe. Having said that, if someone is questioning whatever organization they're in, or belief set or theology that they're under, um, I encourage them to go start looking at the facts. Go dig, as you have done, John. Dig through the real histories dig through the theologies and counter theologies and begin to find the answers for themselves rather than let somebody else tell them what is true find the truth begin a journey of self-exploration because your good instincts are your friend and when they tell you something's wrong here that's probably correct and you should listen to that. So begin to educate yourself, talk to other people, talk to people who have other belief sets so that you can use many points of reference for coming to your conclusion rather than only the one point of reference, which is the organization you're with. Um, there's, there's an incredible um, uh, mountain of theological uh, beliefs sets out here and from many denominations and non denominations and a Catholic and Methodist and Presbyterian and uh, just everything um, finding the right journey for a given person is a very personal thing between them and and their spiritual world as as they see it and so Number one, I I think is go about educating yourself uh, about your concerns, whatever they are. Uh, you're a great example of that, John. Uh, in fact, you've probably done a better job of educating yourself about what was going on than anybody I've ever known. Actually, um, I I simply, for me, it was a is a much shorter journey in that i began to look around and realize that none of that made sense so i just simply separate myself from it um and um um, decided that i wasn't going to be part of it because it simply didn't make sense to me uh and i really appreciate the time and effort that you put in john to help educate others as well as me about how to find a better path forward uh, for all of us, you're not you're not preachy about it. you're not telling people what they must do or must not. You're just talking about the facts and and using critical thinking and and that is ultimately mind freeing and body freeing to people that have been under the clutches of a controlling organization, whatever organization that was.
0: you know there's so many different faith systems out there, and one of the things that i decided early on is that people who are convinced against their will are of the same opinion still. So because I had whatever belief set that I had at the time, I did not want to impose it upon people who were leaving. Really, that's a journey they have to take for themselves and they have to choose and decide. So instead, I dove deeper into studying why. Why are there Baptists and Methodists and Catholics and all of these different varying groups why do they exist and what do they believe? And to the people who are in the support groups or that I'm working with privately. I usually tell them when they ask me what church should I go to? Try all of them. <laughs> don't don't just pick one, go to one, Find, you know, go, go with an open mind, see what you like, see what you agree with, see what you disagree with, go to the next because we were manipulated to believe a very black and white world there was either right and there was wrong and there was nothing in between but when you get out of that programmed mindset you realize that there's this whole world of grays and we were just mentally conditioned to pretend that the grays do not exist so whenever people are working with me and they start talking about attending some new church and they don't like it they you know, they don't don't agree with everything the pastor says. Well, I will immediately say, I don't agree with everything that they say either. But learn what you agree with and learn more specifically why do you agree or disagree with it. Do you agree or disagree because that was your training in the cult growing up? What is the foundation for your reasoning? And um, I think that people who have this type of experience it's good to just explore and learn who you are learn how you can establish yourself once you move on um jesse what do you recommend for people who have tried tried to establish themselves but are uncomfortable in every single path that they've chosen there's this as you're aware you know when you first come out of this thing it feels very. It feels very, you know, difficult to try to adapt. What What do you recommend for people who are struggling to adapt to the non cult world? And what do you recommend for them to make that initial adjustment once they have escaped?
1: Um, I the the organization in this case. Um, spoken word is very um, oriented towards judgmental, uh, um, judgmental approaches and framing things in judgmental ways. And so I would encourage somebody who is stepping out of that and they're trying to find their own path is to drop the judgments. Now, obviously, we have to exercise good judgment which is different than being judgmental okay good judgment means let's not walk down the middle of the street we might get hit by a car so we're not going, we're going to exercise good judgment and not get hit by a car uh we're gonna exercise good judgment and not be uh drinking and driving getting duis and smashing into people right uh but being judgmental is making judgments about other people's lives uh, on a religious basis whether they're, oh, that person's going to hell for sure. Really? Do you know that? Who said? Is it your job to be judging whether someone's going to hell or not? There's only one judge, right? And for spiritual matters, and, and it's not us, okay? Um, that's Jesus' job. So let him go ahead and do his job, and you go ahead and try to try to find people of goodwill, right? People that have good intent, people you can trust people who have your best interests at heart, and by surrounding yourself with people that care about you and believe in um, treating other people well, then the path forward will become obvious because people of like mind uh, tend to fall together. Um, In my case, I, I completely agree with you, John, about I don't think, uh, anybody's going to agree with everything any organization is ever going to say, whatever that denomination or non-denomination is. The, uh, the 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 truth is, we just we don't agree with our own spouse on many topics, <laughs> and we're, <laughs> we're with them for life. So I, the answer for me was, I didn't go anywhere for many years. Uh, religiously and then I I realized well I do need God in my life I need relationship with God and uh, but I didn't want anything to do with any memory of the uh, s- tabernacle um, as some may know or some may not know I, my brother Tim had committed suicide when he was 16 while he was in the message and uh, that really was a heavy contributor to um me wanting to have nothing to do with that organization and uh i i i remembered that the um the preaching was loud and long that the catholic church was the antichrist and so i wanted to be as far from the brown tabernacles i could so searching i did attend other churches but ultimately um the Catholic church is where I wound up at because nothing there reminded me of the random tabernacle, not the priest's clothes, not the, not the adornments in the church. Nothing was remotely similar to the random tabernacle. So, and I felt as you know, with you, John, there's a lot of stuff that the Catholic church does. I don't approve. I don't agree with the current Pope's making some horrible decisions, but I believe that as you kind of implied earlier, the body of believers, coming from different organizations, is who actually makes up people that are believers, Christians, right? People who are living Christ-like. A lot of organizations make make decisions we don't agree with for financial reasons or political reasons, um, but the body of believers is the actual church, in my humble opinion, and so um the people that attend these different institutions who are trying to live in their best effort a christ-like life are the people who i think jesus invested it in and that's why he came came for us to help people believe in him and live uh, live a christ-like christian that's what it, that's what it means christ-like life um at the end of the day um finding what's right for you is going to take some effort, some exploration, it's going to take some time. So I would encourage you to be patient uh, in your search. Don't think you have to find something by X, Y, Z. Uh, be kind to yourself, okay? There's several tools that people can use, psychological tools, to improve their quality of life as they go forward, okay? One of the things that, one of the tools that people can use to improve their quality of life while they're on their journey. I've got several here, so we can just hit hit on them as we go through. But within the, the, the spoken word, Branham Tabernacle thing, and this is again common across other cults. People are trained to talk very harshly and mean to themselves inside of their head. They, they they kind of train people to take on a condemnatory voice towards themselves inside of their head as part of the control mechanism, con- conditioning people to believe that they're basically evil and the only thing that can save them is continued attachment to the organization. So you wanna eliminate automatic negative thoughts. Um, um, there's a interestingly named psychiatrist who's an expert on brain health called Dr. Amen. He's very famous. You can Google him, (laughs) And he's really, really intelligent, but he, he talks about, uh, gotta, gotta squish the ants, automatic negative thoughts, ants. Um, so we tend to think negatively and we, and we do it for several years. We think negatively inside of our head, uh, automatically. We abuse ourselves. We tell ourselves we, we're, we're losers. We're, we're, uh, never going to mount anything. Um, we're, we're going to hell or, uh, we don't, we don't have the skill sets. We're not smart, whatever negative aspect you want to take on this self, uh, uh deprecating type of thought process that leads us to lower our mood and make us more susceptible to suggestion. That's what the organization wants. So if we take the opposite of that become what's called mindfulness, become aware of your thinking, are you talking badly to yourself inside your head? If you are stop, because beating yourself up is of no use, no value. what you want to do is support yourself so think of what you would say to a friend who's going through the same challenges that you're having and then how you would say to them right you would say encouraging things positive things uplifting things to your friend who's going through a similar challenge so only say those things to yourself become your own best friend refuse to talk negatively to yourself refuse to run yourself down um and 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 by doing so you don't bring yourself down in um in the given moment which is usually a pretty good moment right so this goes along with some other tools but the first tool here today that a lot of believers just really are hard on themselves and talk benignantly to themselves is a common uh effort of the organizations Don't talk badly to yourself. Don't run yourself down. And uh, I I believe firmly that that can keep you from bringing yourself down emotionally on a a daily basis. So um, become aware of your thinking and how you talk to yourself through your mindfulness.
0: Agreed. I would say that the ants, the automatic negative thoughts are very oppressive, but even more than that, they're extremely dangerous in these groups as we see with the mass suicide. But I'll never forget, you know, I was not that close to our, to my cousin, Timmy, your brother, Timmy, when he committed suicide, but it was deeply impactful for me. It was something that I struggled with because we're in this religion that is teaching doomsday theology we're about to go into heaven at any day well why would somebody take their life in it this raised a question that i mean seriously it plagued my mind while i was indoctrinated in this thing why would somebody do this we're about to go to the other side and now that i'm on the other side of this i'm starting to realize that this was quite a common trend in the in the message that sects that we um you know, escaped, there's a large number of people who have committed suicide. There are a number of people who have attempted, even in our support groups, there are many people who struggled with this until they escaped. It's very tragic. And a family member who you and I recently lost, my cousin Marcus, as I was going through the most difficult time in my life, he was calling me daily to keep me from committing suicide. And I asked him one day, Marcus, why don't you believe the prophet? Because this was confusing to me. Why would he leave this religion? And why is he the only one who's keeping me alive? And he said, John, I believe the cowboy religion. Love God, love your neighbors that aren't trying to kill you, and be kind to animals. (laughs) And (laughs) that's became pretty much my philosophy you know, I, I don't care what type of Christian you are. A Christian just simply means follower of Christ. If you're a follower of Christ, I, I don't care what brand you give yourself. You know, it's, it really comes down to that. Do you love God? Do you love your neighbors? And the negative thoughts, the automatic negative thoughts, were so oppressive that it took lives. But then after people make their escape because we've been manipulated by cult leaders to have these automatic negative thoughts. Now that we've escaped, there are many people that struggle with this in the reverse direction. Instantly, whenever they think about the religion, the people in the religion, even good people, there are good people in these cults. Instantly, there's these negative thoughts. And sometimes the Cults will have some sort of an event. Maybe it's a wedding or a funeral or family gathering, whatever it is. Instantly, these automatic negative thoughts plague their minds. And some people just simply cannot go to these events. What do you recommend for people that are experiencing post-escape trauma with regards to these automatic negative thoughts?
1: Um, well, Another tool that's very useful and these these tools I'm talking about work in in and outside of religious context and work they work in life in general. Um, but in, another another tool that's very, very helpful in dealing with these situations um, is to depersonalize. Now, in psychology, depersonalize means something else. I'm just attaching this particular label to this particular cognitive tool. Because it it makes sense. Um, When we depersonalize other people, we learn to separate ourselves emotionally from them and their negative thoughts or maybe their negative statements or whatever. If if, if a total stranger walked past us and said something very rude and crude or crass, um, disrespectful, we really wouldn't be affected by that very much because it's a total stranger. But if you move it on into an acquaintance, somebody you might know their first name, and they say something terrible and negative to you, then you probably still wouldn't take it too personal. you think, well, maybe they're having a bad day at home or at work. But if you move it on into an immediate family member or intimate partner, and they say something really nasty, then we're going to take that personal, and the fight is on. You don't talk to me like that, right? Well, the truth is, from the total stranger to the intimate partner or family member, what's coming out of somebody else's mouth 99.9% of the time is not about you. If you've done something wrong to them and offended them, you're going to know it, and you can fix that. But the vast majority of the time, it's about them and not about you. It's about where they're at, at that moment, psychologically, spiritually, and emotionally. And so in your head, if you react, rather than take it personally and get upset and become emotional, if you don't take it personally say, wait a minute, this is not about me. This person's having a bad day. Um, And if, if you depersonalize the statements of the members of the organization you came from and realizing They're coming from their own bad place. The statements that these people make lose their power over you and they can't put you off balance emotionally because if you're not emotional, you can continue to think in a rational way. But if you take things personally, you will become emotional. You might physically fight somebody or say some things you regret. But the bottom line is when you're a bus is being driven by your emotions. The bus is going probably in the ditch And if you if your regular cognitions are driving your bus the bus is going to stay on the road So this is a tool uh, like both of these tools and other tools. I'll talk about They require psychological discipline and things of value pretty much in life in general all require psychological discipline um so you want to depersonalize the statements of the people that are saying negative things or or acting in negative ways uh, as you mentioned earlier john just shunning right shunning can be something someone would take very personally right and be very hurt by that but the truth is that the person doing the shunning is just doing what they were told to do and uh what their belief set is it's not about you it's about them and where they're at psychologically spiritually and emotionally at that moment and so by not taking these um current believers personally uh in what they say and do it it it, uh, removes their power over you to upset you or control you or maybe even try to manipulate you back into the organization. You want to depersonalize. It with the tool of depersonalization is very powerful. I recommend people do that with everybody, everywhere, at all times in their life their family members, their loved ones, their co- colleagues at work, their boss at work, uh, whoever they meet. Depersonalize everybody and realize negative things coming out of their mouth pretty much are about them and not about you. So um, by doing that, you gain tremendous power in just about any dialogue you're going to have if you depersonalize, uh, other people,
0: you know, depersonalizing the situation for me, I think was the most helpful. I, my father was diabetic. And one of the ways in which I began to help myself look at people who were in still in the message cult was I began to look at them as though they were all diabetics. They're people just like me. They can't help that they have this condition they need insulin many of them refuse the insulin the insulin being the truth and i just started viewing it like this it's it's really if you look spiritually it is a spiritual disease that these people have but it's deeper than that they have psychological manipulation into a disease that they don't necessarily have to have if they could just break free from it they would not have this spiritual disease So in a way, I kind of trained myself by accident to depersonalize. But one of the other tools that I began to start using was the just taking it one day at a time. You know, I started looking at each situation as brand new whenever I would meet somebody in a restaurant or in a store where, you know, sometimes the people were friendly, sometimes they weren't. I began to realize that I can't go into a a situation where I'm going to come in contact with people who are in the cult with a preconceived notion that they're going to have malicious intent or insulting language. I have to keep, keep an open mind even with the same person. The same person on one day might be friendly and on the next day they may be struggling with this internal guilt that they're talking to a shunned person And I have to think, you know, they, they themselves can't even help this. They they're tormented in many ways that I no longer am, but I do understand because I used to be of this mindset. What do you recommend for people who are engaging others who were in a religion that they escaped with regards to the friction that can happen between them?
1: Well, that's a perfect example of where to apply depersonalization. Congratulations on your own use of the tool without even uh, having somebody tell you what it is. Um, But that's a perfect example. If you don't take their shunning behavior or like you said, one day they're friendly, one day they're not. If you don't take any of that personally, it loses power over you entirely. Um, The. But you also kind of touched on another tool, that's the power of now, by being present, taking things a day at a time, uh, within the message, a lot of, of powers over the people by getting them to beat themselves up about the mistakes of the past and condemn themselves, which is also related to the ants, or to project negatively out to the future, um, to, a, to a dark future, and so they, they continue to use the organization as the lifeline out of a dark future or a lifeline from ruminating about the past. The truth is you have to live in the present. You can't dwell on a negative past. We've all made mistakes. You can't project out to a negative future. We don't know the future. All we can do is hope for the best and plan and work as best we can. Uh, but projecting to a negative future is not helpful either. So you want to stay in the now um, and stay in the present because usually people will mess up a pretty good present by ruminating about the past or projecting to a dark future uh, when in fact they're very present, uh, they're well clothed, they're fed, they're sheltered, they're in a, in a positive environment around uh, positive people. So staying in the now, the power of now is, is really, uh, again, a, a psychological discipline effort but it's very, very useful. Um, and living uh, a day at a time goes right with that, as well as another tool, which is called having an internal locus of control. And what that means is um, understanding that there's a lot of things that in the world that we don't control. And the organizations often use uh, outside control uh, of, of condemning you uh, so that they can condemn your behavior or control your behavior. The truth is, there's a few things in life that you do control, and there's a whole lot that we don't control. So what what is healthy is to focus on the things that we have control over in our lives. So a lot of people use a lot of cognitive energy, waste a lot of cognitive energy, fretting and fussing and frustrating about things that they have no control over. So, uh, the weather is an example. Sometimes people get quite frustrated that the weather's not cooperating with their plans. Well, the weather's not something that's in their control. And so, frustrating about the weather, getting upset about the weather, is worse than useless. It's bringing you down for no good. The weather's going to stay doing whatever it's doing, raining or snowing or blowing or whatever, until they don't want to anymore. So, this, you're better off to just go to plan B. Um, so, Understanding that anytime you're frustrated about something, ask yourself, is the thing I'm frustrated about in my control or not? If it is, fix it. If it's not, most of the time that's going to be the answer. Then turn and focus what is in my control. Clean the kitchen, wash the car, uh, get on the computer, do some work. Uh, Whatever it is, there are things that are in control that you can go do and not waste time frustrating about something that's out of your control. Now, the number one thing that people frustrate about that's not in their control is other people's behavior choices. We don't control other people. So frustrating about other people's behavior choices not helpful. Um, and the and the best written definition of having an internal locus of control is the serenity prayer. Many people are familiar with it, and many people are not. So if you just google the serenity prayer, it's it's a it's a very it's a two two paragraph prayer but it it's it's a, it's really a, about having an internal locus of control more than it is a prayer per se and it's just that god grant me the serenity to accept the things i cannot change courage to change the things i can and wisdom to know the difference uh, i encourage people to just put that out put it up on their refrigerator whatever they can think of each day and think am i am i focusing on things beyond my control or am i focusing on things in my control um That's really the essence of the serenity prayer. It's used in AA meetings and other uh, therapy and self-help meetings uh, across the United States. So uh, having an internal locus of control is, again, psychological discipline is required, but it can really simplify your life and help all of us to not waste cognitive energy on things that we have no control over anyway. Um, And along with the power of now and depersonalization, uh, reducing automatic negative thoughts. Um, The last one I really want to touch on is frame awareness. How we frame things that events in our lives can really impact uh, how how the event affects our quality of life, okay? Frame awareness, um, for example, there was a, uh, a, a gentleman I worked with uh, and I'm retired from law enforcement. I worked with this law enforcement officer for many years. And unfortunately, he was killed in a one car crash on Christmas morning about 2 a.m. one year, um, many years ago. And he was uh, 47 years old. And uh, his mother was in her 70s and no one would have told her if she if she would have framed her son's passing as being robbed or abandoned by god or uh, cheated somehow and wronged by the universe or whatever no one would have told her that she couldn't frame it that way uh but if you think of that frame which some people choose that frame think of the emotional wash and anguish and pain as coming off of that frame She chose not to frame it that way. She framed it this way. She says, I don't know why God took my son from me. I just thank God for allowing him to be in my life for 47 years, period. Now feel the emotional wash coming off of that frame. That frame's a lot easier to live with than the first frame so be aware of how you frame things is the frame that you put on an event in your life actually accurate does it have to be the frame you put on did you frame it correctly um and can you frame it to a frame that's easier to live with so this requires self-examination and, and thoughtfulness mindfulness but these are just a few tools john that i, I share with uh, many of my clients um, But the members, the listeners here today, if they apply these um, tools to their life, um, I I assure you their quality of life will be improved uh, as they attempt to find the right path for them uh, as they uh, embark on their spiritual journey.
0: Agreed. It's interesting to hear you put the official names to the things that I've learned some of them through trial and error. Um, I know that the anxiety that one experiences when they don't have these things framed the right way. And when they try to control the things that are so out of their control, it, it literally adds these weights to your shoulders that you can see on a person's face as they go through life and they're carrying these mental weights, you can see they look like death warmed over. I look like this, you know, whenever I first escape. And that's one of the things that a cult will use to their advantage. When somebody escapes, they'll say, look, you can even see they're unhappy in their face. Well, of course they have all of these added weights. People are manipulated to be overly concerned of what other people think about them. they're in a cult because that's how the group think works everybody has to be in each other's business i'll never forget that surprise when i first went to a non-cult church and realized that everybody is individual and there is not this uncomfortable unhealthy level of closeness like we had and it really took some time to deconstruct that in my head because whenever you pull away from it because you've been so conditioned to live in this way you want to plug back into it and so there's a lot of re-victimization when a person escapes a cult but framing it in the right way like you said takes away mountains of anxiety and um It's very, very helpful things. I'm glad that you came onto the show. I've enjoyed having you here and I'm sure our listeners are going to really enjoy hearing some of these tools and how to use them. And um, i very, very thankful that you joined, joined us on the show today.
1: Well, thank you for having me, John. It's been an absolute pleasure. I hope your listeners can find some value uh, in these simple words. I, um, I, I appreciate all that you've done to try to help those who've been traumatized um, by these religious organizations. You're you're doing God's work, John. I appreciate it. Well, thank you. Um, if if they want to contact me, I uh, can just Google me. I I'm, I'm, have a LinkedIn profile on uh, LinkedIn, Dr. Jesse Collins, and I also have a Psychology Today profile. You can contact me through either one of those. Um, uh, Dr. Jesse Collins, if you just Google Dr. Jesse Collins, Trinity or uh, Newport Ritchie, um, uh, it'll pop up. But they can contact me through those sites, or they can send a message to you if they want to, and uh, you and I can stay in touch about whatever concern they may have.
0: Well Jesse, this has been fun. I, I hope this is the start of something that we can continue, and um, our listeners, I know, are going to get a lot of help from it. If you've enjoyed our show and you want more information you can check us out on the web you can find us at william-branham.org for jesse collins you can look up dr jesse collins on psychology today or on linkedin and for more information about the history behind the latter movement read weaponized religion from latter rain to colonia dignidad available on amazon kindle and audible